If God be for us, who can be against us? This is not the God who is for my cause. This is not about a cause, okay? This is not, you know, I think Abraham Lincoln said something to this effect. I'm not concerned whether God is on my side. My concern is whether I'm on his. This is not the God who is for my cause. This is deeper than that. This is the God who is for me. If God is for us, who can be against us? I mean, really? I mean, think about it. God love is for us. And in this passage, he equates the for us part with love. You get to the last part, those last few verses of the passage I just read, and, and he equates it with love. What can separate us from the love of God? So the, the question is, what does the for us look like? What's its shape? What's its texture? What's its impact in my life? I think it looks like his names, for starters. Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus, the one who saves us. He's the one in place of me. He took my head. What, what we think is a proposition, if God is for us, who can be against it, is characterized by prepositions, with and for and in place of. It's a prepositional gospel. It's prepositional good news. How desperately I need in my life for somebody to be with me, for somebody to be for me, for somebody in, in times of dire straits to even take my place. I, can't, I can hardly imagine that, somebody taking my consequence. So what does for us look like? Well, again, it looks like a gracious giver. He, he will graciously give us all things. That's what the text says. I'm not making it up. That's what it says. He'll graciously give us all things. And it isn't just about stuff for today. How about confidence for tomorrow that when we know he's for us, we move out with that kind of confidence? After the Second World War, they had a lot of foundlings, a lot of orphan babies. Europe was devastated by the war and after the war. There are two kinds of wars that are fought. You have the one where you drop bombs and shoot bullets and stuff goes off. And then you have the one afterwards that's the war for survival. That's the war to put one's lives back together. And they had these little orphans and they were half starved to death, these little children. And so somebody came up with the idea, let's make sure we feed them, give them a piece of bread, because even that was precious. We'll give them a piece of bread before they go to sleep. And they gave each of the children a piece of bread and they'd fall asleep and they'd wake up crying because they were afraid. And somebody thought the reason they're afraid is that they know they had the piece of bread they just had, but they don't know if they'll have one for tomorrow. So what they did was they gave them a piece of bread before they went to sleep with a cup of milk. And then they put a piece of bread in their hand and they went to sleep. And they'd wake up in the night and they knew that they had provision for tomorrow and they'd go back to sleep because this is the gracious giver. This is the God who is for us that not only provides for this moment, but he provides going for us. Who shall charge us with anything is what this says. Who takes the charges against us? I, when I was 17 years old, I was 
chasing my sister on her wedding night. She was going with her husband, you know, to the honeymoon. And I was 17, and downtown Oakland was chasing her in our 57 Dodge, which had push buttons. It didn't have a steering column. I mean, it had a steering column, but it didn't have shift. They had buttons very fancy back in 57. <laughs> and I looked in my rearview mirror, and there were lights. And they weren't like the traffic lights. They were the other kind of lights. I got stopped by the police, and he wasn't gentle with me. He, he called me some names, he, and, and it wasn't Bruce. And uh, I got charged with reckless driving, making an illegal U-turn, speeding, endangering other people. And my father, who was a pastor, had to go to juvenile hall with me in front of a judge and they had the charges. There, there's nothing worse than having them like read the charges. Peter, Simon Peter, Jesus' disciple, understands about charges. You remember that story in the, in the Garden of Gethsemane where they're coming to get Jesus to take him away and he's going to be crucified. And when they come to get him, Peter tries to defend God. And he whips out his short sword and he whacks at this guy and he misses his head and catches his ear. And you can almost hear the Lord looking at that and going, oh, boy. And it says that he reaches out and touches the man, heals the man. Because the last thing Peter needs is charges. He doesn't need any more problems. He's got all kinds of problems. He's promising more than he can produce. He's going to foul up before the night's over. He's going to be so discouraged. He doesn't need somebody hauling him into court on charges saying, this guy tried to kill me. You can hear the judge say, well, what did he do? Well, he cut my ear off. Well, which ear was that? The guy says, well, like this ear. And the judge is saying, but you have that ear. (laughs) Charges dismissed for lack of evidence. And of course, that's what Jesus does. He comes into your life and he destroys the evidence. So who, who can bring any charge against those whom God has justified? Even those already convicted, when finding about, out about this Jesus, respond to the for us part of him. Ruth and I like to ride the train. Part of it is that she doesn't like to fly very much. And so whenever we can, we take the train. And two weeks ago, we took Amtrak from Colorado to California. And you go over the Rockies and you go over the Sierra Nevadas. And, of course, I'm, you know, I'm a romantic. I'm seeing, you know... Apaches up on the, well, they don't have Apaches in that part, but I mean, I'm seeing all kinds of things out there. And but you go to the dining car, and when you go to the dining car, it's sort of like a rolling bed and breakfast. You meet new people all the time, they just put you with whomever. And we sat with a couple from Fresno, California, older couple, and uh, she was a retired school teacher. But she said, Recently, I've been going to a women's prison in a particular part of the state, it's the largest women's prison in California. And she said, at first I was scared because I didn't know. These are women who are in there for all kinds of things. But I started telling them about the one who was for them. And they started understanding that I was for them. And I, at, at first I thought I might not feel safe. But now we love each other. And they are my protectors when I go in. Because even, even when you have charges... When you find out about the one who is for you, there's something about that that sets you free. 
So what could you be charged with if you were like this God? Here's the, here's the God who loves us beyond. Here's the God who is for us. I mean, if, if, if his spirit is in us and we're like him and we get sort of that flavor of being for people, what are they going to charge you with? Well, they arrest him. He clearly loves too much, you know. Well, she's just so positive. Well, she just is such a tremendous encourager. Clearly, she needs to be in the clink. You know, we need... What is it? How does that work? Who can bring anything against those whom God has justified? The last few verses, 35 through 39, says this. We cannot be separated from that love. We can't be separated from that love. Think of the external things that bring pressure. Now, I've said this here before, and I've said it two or three times in the last 10 or 12 years when I've spoken. And uh, sometimes we who speak like this think that if we said it once, that people, like, hear it. I know that in sales, you have to hear something 17 times generally before you buy. So you've only got 14 more to go. This is the third time, okay? This is, this is something that happened to me. I was a young pastor at the University of Illinois, and this lady came in, and she said, I'm having a terrible time. This isn't just a blue Monday. Like, this is a blue month. Like, this is so, I'm just, I'm under it. I got all this stuff. And, and I was just thinking, what do I say to her? And I said, well, that's how you feel, and feelings are real, and we tend to respond to feelings. But feelings are based on perspective. They're based on how we see something. That's how feelings are generated. And uh, listen to how Paul says it here. He says it this way. Can, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? What, what can do that? And I said these two things to her. And you know, I don't take credit for this. I just said, you know, where it says us, wherever there's a personal pronoun in this text, instead of reading us, why don't you put your name there? So this would read, if God is for Richard Bruce Foth, who can be against him? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for Foth, how will he not also along with him graciously give us, give Foth all things? And I said, now, I'm not a doctor, but I have a prescription for you. Go home twice a day, stand in front of the mirror, and read this text out loud. And put your name there. And see what happens. Because when you start adjusting your feelings to the truth, something happens that happens no other way. This is truth. You can, I can decide to follow my feelings, or I can decide to follow truth. I get to choose. And when you come to that place where it says trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or naked, all those things that make us feel vulnerable. There was a time when I was president of a small college. We needed millions of dollars. We had four teenagers. It was making me feel naked, totally vulnerable. So I I just started doing that. So trouble or hardship or persecution or college presidency or four teenagers. I just, you know, whatever it is that makes you feel that way, put that in there and see what happens. Because this is the God who loves us and is for us. Jeremiah 31.3 reads, reads this way. I have loved you. Speaking to Israel, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Moffat's translation says it this way. I have loved you all the way through 
I have loved you all the way. I don't know if that means all the way through circumstances or all the way like through. But it's good, whichever it is. (laughs) Psalm 89 says it this way. I will sing of the Lord's great love forever. With my mouth I will make your faithfulness known through all generations. I will declare your love stands firm forever that you established your faithfulness in heaven itself. Or how about this classic, John 3.16. For God loved in such a way, he loved us all the way through. When we love, when we are for someone, when we have somebody for us, we don't think of an ending date. This is not a disposal system here. This is not, these are not Kleenex. These are not disposable things. When someone is for you, when this God is for you, as he is, it's always. It's not because of a vow, although as good as that is, it becomes reflexive. When you love somebody, when you're for somebody, when he's for you, it's reflexive. It's just It's what you instinctively do. Somebody says, well, it's just second nature. I would submit to you it's first nature. That it is, in fact, what I'm designed for. But sometimes when we love people, yeah, I'm I'm sure this is true. We have to make God crazy. If you could, we would make him crazy. You know, some of you have loved people, and they make you crazy. Some of you make people crazy. They're trying to love you completely, totally. What do you do? Apparently, according to God, he loves us anyway. And when his spirit is in us, when that for you spirit is in us, we learn to love you anyway. It's a lifelong process. Trust me, I'm working on this big time and I've got a few years. Last Sunday, last Saturday night, I turned 70. I never thought I would be this old. It's frightening. And you were kind. Last year, those, some of you were here when, the, when Mark said, you know, both starting his 70th trip around the sun, and you did a little Yoda video. It was very cute, and you gave me a lightsaber, and my, kid, my grandkids love that. They say, Grandpa, can we do, turn the thing on? And it's green, and it's just tremendous. I was 70 on Saturday, but on Sunday morning, I got to be three again. One of the great things about being three, I think, is that for three-year-olds, almost everything is a first-time experience. They're just in a world of wonder and discovery. And last Sunday, I had a first-time experience. Ruth and I, over our years together, have had four children The eldest is now 46. The youngest is 39. We have 11 grandchildren from 20 years old to 2 years old. And our third daughter was a dynamic child, is a dynamic child. She's not a child anymore, but she has her own three boys. You've heard me say this. She was sort of our wild kid. Not bad wild. She was just, I mean, she'd get away from you. You know, when when Ruth had our first, she was a pastor's wife. She sat in the front row. When she had our second, she moved back like a couple, three. By the time she got our fourth, she was in the back row. And Susanna, the girl I'm talking about, she would break loose. And she would come down under the pews. And I could tell where she was because people were going, woo, you know, as she just came. 
She just, I knew, here comes Susanna again. She's just coming. She didn't know etiquette. She didn't know. She just knew I was here and she was there and she wanted to come here. Looking back on that, I could have not been more honored. And now she has three boys, 10, 8, and 6, which we feel she deserves. And she, and she has a blog entitled Confessions of a Tired Supergirl. And I, it, it, you ladies, you might want to check it out. It's, it's, uh, I, she's just funny. And Sue and I love some of the same people. We both love Ruth. That's her mom and my wife. We both love her mom's, grandpa- her mom's parents, Roy and Opal Blakely. And last Sunday, for the very first time, she has authored some books and she speaks at retreats now. And we got to speak together at a church in Tualatin, Oregon, outside Portland, Horizon Church. We were talking about generations and what makes them work. And so for the first time, unrehearsed, we shared how we learned about God as kids. Both of us were attracted in a kid's service where the guy in front had a dummy. He was a ventriloquist, so we had that in common. And then we talked about how in sticky moments, this for us business, this loving you all the way through, showed up. And I was a little hesitant to try to show this clip because it could be seen as self-serving, but I it's not meant that way. It's just that both of us have had, had experiences where we discovered that God was for us because a person was for us. And I thought you might like to see the clip. This is Susanna Fothotman and her dad. Probably a really important time in my life when you and mom um, impacted me was I shared this at the women's retreat that um, I had gone through a rough, rough patch uh, in college and I had decided maybe I didn't really want to follow Jesus even though you know I was in Bible college and you were the president. I was. Um, <clears throat> I thought maybe talk. we need to talk later. Yeah. Uh, well, I thought maybe I could do better. You know, I had better plans than, you know, what you or God had for me. And so I tried that out for a while and it was pretty disastrous. And um, I got myself into a place where I was failing all my classes. I had developed an eating disorder. And um, I knew that I woke up one morning and that I needed help. And I, I did need Jesus really bad. And I needed you and mom to help me. And so I remember having to go into your bedroom and they were laying on the bed. And I just crawled up um, in between them and I told them everything. That was going that was going on, and what I was doing, and I was making myself sick every day and um, i don't i can 't make myself not cry at this part, but they just told me that they loved me and that they were going to help me, and then there weren 't any questions it was just that unconditional love and so I think for me, the people that impacted me most were the ones who loved me the most. I have a friend in d c and I told her that if she made me cry here we were going to not do this ever again. This is the first time. It's the first time we've ever done this. This may be the last time. But the, but the uh, I have a friend in D.C., Mark Batterson, who he's an author as well, and he's written uh, he's written a number of things and pastors a church there. But he has a line that he uses, a phrase, not a line, a phrase that he uses that God loves us when we least deserve it and least expect it. And I think there's a there's a power in that. I think the same person, my father-in-law, Ruth's dad. I met Ruth's father when I was 10 years old. I didn't know Ruth existed, but I was at a kid's camp. He was 38, and he did a kid's camp in Northern California. 
He dressed up like an army guy with a helmet and fatigues and a 38, excuse me, 38 revolver on his hip, which is always good for kids' camp. And, <laughs> and, he, and he too had a dummy. Maybe we have a genetic thing about dummies, I'm Puppets, thinking. Puppets, they're and, good. Good for the Lord. And, 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 uh, and um, when I later, eight, well, 10 years later, went to ask for her hand in marriage, my parents' own thing was sort of coming apart, and I was scared about that. And he just said, Foth, here's the deal. Why don't you just love Ruthie and follow Jesus, and Opal and I will love you, and Ruthie will walk together. It'll be okay. I trust you. And there's, there's something about that, that unconditional acceptance at a moment when I don't accept myself, which is really powerful. When I don't like me and somebody else chooses to, there's something powerful about that. And I, I just, uh, I get that. Yeah. When we know someone is for us, it's a game changer. When we know someone is for us, it's a game changer. Here's the question. If God is for us, What? Who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? Would you say it again with me? If God is for us, who can be against us? In that moment, we understand that we are not just survivors. In that moment, we understand that we are victors, that we are more than conquerors. I think it's like one of the top three rhetorical questions in human history. If God is for us, who can be against us? Because he is the one who loves us all the way through. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for the power of your word. Help us to be people who believe the truth before we believe our feelings. Help us to be people who believe the truth before we believe our feelings. Thank you for being the gracious giver. Thank you for taking the charges and not making them. Thank you that there is nothing, no substance, no thing, nothing above the earth or beneath it, no circumstance that can separate us from your love because you are are the God who is for us. And tonight, in this moment, we receive that. We choose to believe that. We choose to know that. And whatever the circumstance we face in the next 72 hours or the next week, help us to embrace the truth that you are the God who is for us. And that being the case, Who can be against us? In the precious name of your son, Jesus, we pray. And everyone said, amen. Amen.